So, uh, this morning, we are going to uh, be in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 17. And as always, it is a privilege uh, to gather here with you, with God's people, under the Word of God. So, if you would turn there to chapter 1 this morning, we're going to consider the genealogy of Jesus, the Christ, this morning. We will see that it is a genealogy of grace for sinners who by faith have entrusted themselves to God, those who believed in His promises. Uh, Before we get into the the passage this morning, let us uh, pray. Father in heaven, we come to the throne of grace this morning, robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We ask that this church would increasingly bear the fruit of the Spirit, that we would grow in love for one another. Lord, we ask for your justice in the courts and the laws of our nation, that they would reflect the moral law of God revealed in the Scripture, and that would be for our flourishing, and so that we also as Christians may live peaceful and quiet lives as we endeavor to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We ask that your word this morning would illuminate our minds, it would inflame our hearts, And it would move our will to obedient faith this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that uh, those who are suffering from the losses of of tornadoes and storms around the Midwest and the South, Lord, that at this time that there would be uh, men and women in your church who come to uh, aid those who have lost everything. I pray, Lord, that uh, in that loss that they would discover their great need uh, for salvation and that their minds would be open to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that in all of this uh, tragedy and trial and trouble, uh, that uh, in the end uh, they would glorify you, Lord, knowing that you are good and you are right and you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you are able uh, to stand for the long reading of this passage, would you please do so uh, with me this morning? Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, 
at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deport, deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah the father, was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan. And Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is God's word. You can be seated. Thanks be to God. This is indeed the inspired, inherent, infallible word of God. And you might be thinking, how in the world will this guy preach a message with this just list of genealogical names? I know that I talked to my daughter about this this week and she thought, how could you do that? You'll see. We can. We can definitely see uh, God's grace in this passage this morning. Uh, Again, this week we want to capture the spirit of the Christmas season, which is this idea of anticipation. And last week we heard uh, of the first Christmas promise that a seed is coming from Eve that will crush the enemy of God and will redeem God's people. This coming seed will satisfy God's wrath against sin and will restore God's people as vice regents of the king uh, of all creation and accomplishing God's will on earth. You know, when we look at the historical record of the Bible, something stands out. The depravity of mankind gets passed down from generation to generation. Despite the disobedience of humankind, we also see in the historical biblical record a reiteration of the promise of God to redeem mankind unto himself. I did a project a few years ago where I was assigned to put together a family tree. But instead of just putting together a family tree with with just the uh, dates of birth and the dates of death and the places where people lived, I was tasked with recording my genealogy, naming each person's brokenness and the consequence of their failures, the consequence of uh, their fallenness. So beside the name of the person was either their own sins or sins that had been committed against them, and then the result. So, of course, the first observation that I had was that sin kept begetting sin, just like it happens in the Scripture. Sin, abuse, and dysfunction was passed on from generation to generation. Another part to this genealogy was to record Christian or unbeliever next to the names. And if possible, if, if the dates were known, when that happened, to put those dates as well. What do you suppose the general observation I found uh, was in the history of my family? I noticed that when I placed the word Christian next to the name, not that everything ended and stopped, but there were less incidents down the line from that family Less incidents of abuse, less incidents of addiction, less incidents of premature illness and death. 
in that family line as it went on. And the reason why I, I use this illustration this morning is to show exactly this is what went on in the biblical history of God's people. And those who are included in the genealogy of the one who was to come and the one who was to rescue sinners, who begat more sinners, was at the same time God, by God's grace, there was a gift given to them. To those who are listed here, there was a gift given to them. And that is the gift of faith. They believed the promise of God to send a redeemer. And because they believed the promise of God to send them a redeemer, God counted that to them as righteousness. They believed that God would send a redeemer, and he counted that to them as righteousness. And then he counted them amongst the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Because this is a list of sinners. You will see soon. This is a list of sinners with major problems. So this genealogy, in this genealogy of Jesus, is a long line of failure, and yet it is also a genealogy of God's grace. It is a genealogy of faith, a genealogy of God's intervention, a history of God's providence and God's will in saving a people for himself. Let us look at verse 1. It says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I want to read that again, coupled with verse 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. So this is a literary device used by the gospel writer Matthew, and it's called an inclusio, where the beginning of the passage and the end of the passage say the same thing, maybe in different order and with a little bit more detail, but, it, but putting these two things on each end of it kind of gives you a clue as to the aim of, of the passage, the aim of the author. They kind of say the same thing, but maybe different order, different detail. And so this kind of gives us a clue as to the intent of the author in uh, putting together this genealogy in the way that he does. The genealogy is an outline of the salvation history. The genealogy traces the line of God and the line of his promises received by faith due to his intervening grace, his divine providence, and according to his divine will. Matthew wants to emphasize three main points about Jesus in this passage. Primarily, Matthew wants the reader to know that the one born to Mary was born to be a king. He was born to be a king, right? He is born to be the king of kings, the ultimate king. And by linking Jesus to Abraham, he's also saying that all of my previous covenantal promises that I have given to Israel find their yes and their amen in Jesus. All of my prior covenantal promises are finding their yes and their amen in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, see, is the true Israel. Jesus is the true Israel. All of the promises that God made to Israel are in Jesus Christ fulfilled, right? He is the true Israel. And so, as, as, he, as he links this, even Matthew will later say, Out of Egypt I will call my son. Finally, by naming Jesus the Christ, 
Matthew is emphasizing that Jesus is the anointed of God, that he is the begotten, not made. He is born not of the flesh or the will of man, but born of the Holy Spirit, that he is born of God. All who are included in the family line of Jesus Christ will be born not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but born of the Holy Spirit of God by his intervening grace as he gives each one faith. So let us read some of these names, and I'm not going to go through the whole list of names once again, uh, even in the, um, in the Kings, but I am going to go through these names again in the beginning here of verse 2 through uh, the first part of verse 6 because I want us to see some things very important here. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez by Zerah, uh, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadad, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. When we hear these names in the genealogy, the first thing that came to my mind is in this line of Jesus, this is a list of horrible sinners. This is a list of horrible, sinful people. Abraham is a coward who betrayed his wife. Jacob is a heel snatcher, greedy for his brother's inheritance. Rahab is a prostitute. David is an adulterer. But what I want us to notice is that none of these things are mentioned here. None of these things are mentioned here. They are included in the line of Jesus Christ because God chose them. And the quality that they're remembered for in the course of history is this, that they believed the promise of God. That's what they're remembered for throughout history, is they believed the promise of God. These sins are not mentioned here. But we all know from the story of the scriptures, these guys had some awful, grievous sins. But they are mentioned here because God had given them faith. They hid themselves in the shadow of his wings, as it were. Therefore, God used them as instruments to bring about his plan of salvation. See, Matthew's source for this section of genealogy is actually the book of Ruth. You can look at uh, chapter 4 of Ruth, 18 through 21, when you get home and explore this, but it's, it's the same uh, way it's laid out to get us to David. And Ruth is linked to both David and to Abraham because she believed the promise of God by faith. In Ruth chapter 2, it says, uh, this is what she uh, was told. The Lord will repay you for what you've done and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth is mentioned here in that she took refuge in God. And God's full reward is this, the Savior is coming through your line. The Savior, Jesus Christ, will come through you and you have hidden yourself under the shadow of His wings. As we look at this lineage, I want us to notice something that is really rare in, in, in the uh, history of how uh, the Jews would think about uh, 
an inheritance, a genealogy, a passing on, it would all be through the fathers. But there are five women mentioned in this genealogy of Jesus. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Rahab and Ruth are Gentiles. Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba are of questionable character at best. The lineage is comprised of men, women, adulterers, prostitutes, Jews, Gentiles, heroes, and failures. And God intervened in the lives of these men and women. God aided them. By faith, they entrusted themselves to God that they had taken refuge in Him. See, what we see here is, is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself and not counting their trespasses against them. What he's, what he's listing these people for is their faith. They had faith and had, had trust in themselves in God trusted themselves to the promise of God to send them a Savior. And they are named in the line of the Savior, which means that what? They've been adopted into the family of God. Sinners, Jews, Gentiles, women, prostitutes, adulterers, thieves, cheaters, liars, cowards, all adopted into the family of God by faith because they had put their trust in God. And God in Christ Jesus was not counting their sins against them, their trespasses against them, but he, he, recon, he was reconciling them to himself by faith. This should be a, a great reason to remind ourselves uh, why we rejoice this Christmas. You see, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality. And to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. You see, because in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. You see, as we, as we go through this line and we get to verse 16, and, and Jacob uh, uh, is the father of Joseph and the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ, you see this Joseph is like the earthly adopted father of Jesus, right? He's not his father. And then this whole list is those who have been adopted into the family of God. So is there a sin here in your own life and in your own heart where, that it's troubling you so much that you believe that there's no way I could be included in the family of God? There's no way I could be included in the family of God. Do you know somebody 
who you've spoken to, who you've shared the gospel with, who says, no, you don't know me. You don't know my life. I could never be part of the family of God. As you see here, God transformed the life of prostitutes. He transforms the life of liars and cheats and heel snatchers and and prideful men and women, usurpers. God transforms the lives of those people and brings them into his family to be named in Christ, to be part of Christ's family, to be adopted into the family of God. But God has to do a work in us, doesn't he? that we would believe by faith, that we would trust in the promises of God. Is there anything, as you sit here this morning, holding you back, holding you back from joining into the family of God, of saying, I cannot be part of His family? Anybody you know that is in that same predicament, I would say this, I implore you, on behalf of Christ to understand that you too can be included in the family of God if you would just repent and believe in the promise of God that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's the promise that we give to those that, that are, are, are saying that so far from God they can't come to God. I remember a story I read years ago about a, uh, a church in Chicago that had... Down below in the basement, they had AA meetings and all of those things, right, that went on there. So there were, there were alcoholics and prostitutes and all kinds of folks who would go there. And uh, they kind of were not allowed. Uh, this was in the 50s and, and, and early 60s. But the church pastor at that time did not allow them to come up and be part of the church service. If he knew that they were part of what went on in the basement, they weren't allowed to come up and be part of what went on in the sanctuary. But lo and behold, they get a new pastor. And the new pastor comes and he meets this woman outside the door downstairs who is obvious to her, that to him, that she is a prostitute. And he says, why don't you come upstairs and worship the Lord with us this morning? She says, why would I want to do that? He says, well, what do you mean? Why would you want to do that? God is ready to receive you. If you believe him by faith, God is ready to receive you. She said, well, God might be ready to receive me, but those people aren't. Those people won't receive me. Why would I go to a place where I'm hated and shamed? I have enough hatred and shame in my own self and in my own life. Well, I think that's a good lesson for us. We shouldn't be a place where people feel and that they're not welcome and that they're not part of things, right? We need to welcome them. Tell them the truth about Jesus. Call them to repentance and faith. Knowing that they're there are, there are liars and cheaters and former drunks and addicts and uh, all sorts of manner of things. I don't know everything about all y'all's lives. But some of those things belong to you, don't they? And God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, intervened in your life 
and you were given faith. You were given faith by God's grace and you believed him. You believed the promises of God. You believed fully that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born one of us, live like none of us, and die a death for us. You believed that by faith. And now, when God looks upon you, he doesn't go liar, cheater, prostitute, whore, drunkard. No. He says, mine by faith. This person belongs to me. What will be remembered about you through eternity is that you believed God. That you trusted in the promises of God. That is what you and I will be remembered for throughout history. Throughout the history of eternity. You will not be remembered for your sins and your shortcomings. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what you'll be remembered for is your faith. You'll be remembered that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news, brothers and sisters? That is such good news. You know, I think sometimes when we sit around, and I do this often as I sit around and I count my own sins from the past. I start counting them up. And then I stand in front of the mirror and I go, that's me. And then I recognize that no... (laughs) The Father in heaven looks at me and says, what I know about you is faith. You've put your trust in the promises of Jesus Christ. And I account that, His righteousness to you. You are robed in His righteousness. That's how I see you. You're a man or a woman of faith. That's what you'll be remembered for for eternity. I love that. That is good News. You see, with mankind, it is impossible to please God and be saved. And the whole family line of God's people includes every type of sinner by God's grace. Every type of sinner. Every type of sinner who believes, though, that God sent his Satan-crushing seed through Eve in the person of Jesus Christ to be born as one of us who lived like none of us and died for sinners like all of us whom the Father raised from the dead and will account to us who believe the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And furthermore, God will send to you and to us and has the empowering Holy Spirit that we would become instruments for His kingdom, that we become instruments to bring about righteousness and salvation to the world. What a great responsibility and what a great pleasure and what a great thing to think about that God uses fallen, broken people like you and me to bring about his kingdom purposes. If we believe by faith and trust in the promises of God, then he sends his Holy Spirit in you and through you and through you and through me. He brings about the rest of the salvation of his people. All who will be saved will hear it from one of you, from some of you, I hope that they hear it from you. I hope that you, empowered with the power of the Holy Spirit, are out there proclaiming this good news. That God sent His Son to crush Satan. And crush him He did. And that God sent this baby in a manger to redeem His people, to impute His righteousness on their behalf. I hope that we are telling that story this Christmas. I hope that you will surrender yourself to being used as an instrument of God's righteousness to bring about the kingdom of God.